sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Roy Butler won the seat of Barwon in the New South Wales election of March 2019 for the Shooters and Fishers Party. Before that, Butler was a public servant working as the Western Region Manager of the New South Wales Police, and he has a master's degree in public administration. He agreed to speak to Environmental as Anything on the issue of the Independent Planning Commission's decision to greenlight the Santos plan to convert much of his electorate into an industrial yeah, gas. Yeah, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Thanks for taking my call. That's okay. You're a little bit outside of Barland, but that's all right. A little bit, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a statewide significant project, apparently. Well, mate, it absolutely is. And, and not just uh, statewide. I mean, the Great Artesian Basin that they're talking about interfering with extends right up into Queensland as well. Yep. So you're probably aware that uh, running uh, in the campaign in the lead up to the election, uh, we stood in opposition to this project uh, all through 2018 and then into the election. This was the position we took to the election. Um, so there's, there's a degree of endorsement of our position, I suppose, because um, we were elected on the basis that we opposed, opposed the project uh, in the seat of Barwon. The seat of Barwon had been held by, by the National Party or Country Party for 70 years um, prior, to, uh, prior to me winning the seat. And um, I think that that speaks volumes about uh, what people, and, and really it's people who are the core constituency of the nationals normally, you know, farmers, mm. Mm. Uh, who are in opposition to this. Uh, there has also been, uh, you know, a huge amount of um, pushback from traditional owners as well. Yep. Um, the Gomorrah people, the Barkindji people, they've all opposed this. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you've really got to wonder, with 23,000 submissions and 98% of them in opposition to it, how a government can decide it's a good decision to go ahead with something when clearly the community um, more broadly just does not want it. No, there's a massive opposition. And I know that Lock the Gate went out there and surveyed extensively and came up with an, an overwhelming number of people who were opposed to it, didn't they? Yeah, so within the township of Narrabri itself, um, uh, there was about 50-50 support and opposition. But as soon as you leave the town boundaries and go onto farms or into other communities like Canamble, Walworth, Burke, that opposition quickly climbs up to around 90%. Um, so it's not a, it's not a, you know, sitting on the fence kind of number. It's quite a distinct, yeah. uh, <coughs> distinct opposition to the project. People, <coughs> at the very least, are concerned about groundwater. Uh, some people are far more strident in their opposition. Um, you know, the, there's, there's already talk of legal action from different groups uh, in regards to the project. And on top of that, there's people who are talking about protesting and uh, uh, basically trying to stymie the, the the process. So there is going to be more uh, more to see on this. And obviously, with 134 conditions, that's going to uh, substantially increase the, the compliance costs for Santos for what was already extremely expensive gas. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping that that makes the project uh, unviable. Yes, well, I was going to ask you about those 134 conditions as being potentially a deal-breaker for Santos. Oh, that, well, that's the IPC's direction. So if they can't meet the standards that are required in terms of confidence of water protection uh, and water modelling, then uh, the IPC's direction is that the project cannot go ahead. Mm. So uh, I'm really hopeful that uh, on the grounds of... Uh, protecting groundwater and making sure that we don't end up uh, you know, wrecking something that generations long after you and I are gone will need to rely on for water, especially through drought. 
Um, I'm really hoping that the uh, yeah the expert water panel decides that uh, those risks can't be mitigated. My understanding was there might have been an issue about waste disposal as well as one of the conditions. Is that right? Well, this is this is bizarre what's happened here. So the day after the IP, it was referred to the IPC, I had a meeting with um, uh, Department of Planning, and uh, we were amazed, like our jaws hit the floor because uh, we were being told that. Uh, the waste salt. So we don't actually know exactly what we're going to be getting out of the ground yet, uh, you know, in terms of waste salts. I was amazed when uh, planning told me that uh, that waste salt could be taken to any one of uh, 11, um, 11 waste management sites within 150 kilometres of uh, Narrabri. My understanding, and I think everyone's understanding, was that that waste needed to be disposed of uh, very securely so it couldn't leach back into groundwater or cause other problems. Um, so I don't know... Uh, why uh, Santos has sort of walked away from that. Um, but then again, the, both the New South Wales State Government and Santos have both walked away from the 16 recommendations of the Chief Scientist, Professor Mary O'Kane. Uh, only two of those were ever fully implemented, uh, despite both the New South Wales State Government and Santos agreeing in full to implement them. So you've really got to wonder, you know, if you've got 134 conditions here, government allowed Santos to walk away from the 16 recommendations of the Chief Scientist and allowed themselves to walk past their own standard. You've really got to wonder what's going to happen here. Yes, indeed. It leaves a lot of people wondering, uh, you know, how could this be considered an independent process uh, when uh, the only voices uh, of the, the thousands that were raised, uh, the only voices that seemed to have been paid any attention to were the department and the applicant? Yeah, and I think when you look at what's happening on a broader scale politically, you know, um, there's been a lot of money uh, moved from Santos to the LNP at a state and federal level, and I'd encourage anyone to go and have a look at that. That's a matter of public record. Mm. Um, and I'm not talking, you know, 50 bucks. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, especially if you look back till 2010. Um, and, and I think when you've got uh, the COVID Commission, um, which is an interesting name for a group of people who are mostly from the energy industry, um, talking about a gas-led recovery, um, you've really got to wonder where government is on that. Like, where is government and where is the, the, the representative system that we all know and understand where we vote for people to take forward the views that uh, exist within the community? I, I would pretty much be sure that if we if we polled the whole of New South Wales about uh, how they feel about coal seam gas uh, or unconventional gas generally, I think most people would be saying, well, if we don't need to do it, let's not do it. No. It puts risks that we just don't need and it's not going to drive down energy prices based on the Australian energy market operator's estimates of you know, between $7.21 and $7.44. I've seen some as high as $9.36 a gigajoule mm. of energy. Now, that was before we added 134 more conditions, which includes uh, a requirement for offsets if they exceed their greenhouse gas um, targets. So that's only going to add to the cost of what is already expensive gas. We know that there's alternatives. I think about 23 or 24% of the grid in New South Wales currently supplied by renewables. Uh, we know that that's uh, something that exists. Uh, and if you really want to see how bizarre government's decision-making is here, you have a look at the fact that we export 3,000 petajoules of gas a year yeah. uh, at a ridiculously low price to Asia on contracts that were struck in the Howard era. This project, the Narrabri project, is for just 70 petajoules a year. Yeah. Like, with a different uh, domestic gas reservation policy or a public interest test on exports, we could actually not be in this position at all. Uh, it's just that, for whatever reason, we're... Um, selling gas much more cheaply overseas than what we're selling it to our own people. Uh, mm. And I, I think that's, that sort of behaviour from the federal government is, is, is bloody terrible. Yeah, it certainly doesn't uh, inspire confidence in the, uh, the economics uh, or even the capacity to do mental arithmetic, does it? 
<laughs> Sandos Chief Executive and Managing Director Kevin Gallagher, who I refer to as the $11 million man, has offered reassurances to those concerned about the potential environmental impacts. He's quoted as saying by the ABC, we've got a strong track record in Queensland. What do you reckon about Santos's track record in Queensland? Well, I think that people who uh, um, support the gas industry and work in the gas industry probably speak very positively about it, but I've seen plenty of stories from uh, people who have uh, groundwater licences, they access groundwater out of uh, bores, um, and their stories are not so positive. Uh, they've, they've, I've seen reports of people who say that they've had health issues associated with uh, groundwater contamination, uh, and other people, I mean, people probably wouldn't be aware, but there's actually a, a Queensland government agency called the Office of Groundwater Impact Assessment, now, when I first met with them, I went to Queensland and met with them, and I thought, oh, well, these guys will look at everything. They'll look at water quality. They'll look at, uh, you know, what impact uh, extracting all that water from coal seams is having on good water. But no, they don't. All they do is basically tell people how much lower they need to put their bores to be able to access water out of the ground <laughs> as the water table drops. So, uh, you know, here we've kind of got the, the, the fox in charge of the hen house in terms of water quality and what's actually happening to groundwater. Uh, and really in New South Wales, uh, we need to make sure that, that independent uh, uh, water expert panel is looking very closely at everything that Santos is doing. And as I said, I really hope that as a result of the, the conditions that have been put down by the IPC that uh, Santos cannot go ahead. Yes, well, that's, uh, yes, I think you're, you, as you say, in the vast majority holding that sentiment. But you're in, uh, in the very small minority who are actually in a position to be in the parliament building and uh, close to those government uh, decision-making processes. Do you see, for instance, Matt Keane came on the show and talked about his uh, plans for renewable energy superpower status for New South Wales. Uh, do you see a strong commitment from the New South Wales government to this, uh, this Santos Narrabri project, or do you think that they've got uh, their eye on the uh, the outdoor? Mate, I, I worked in state government for 20 years in different agencies, worked in police, worked in disability, worked in corrections in the prison system. And um, after coming to Parliament, I can tell you it's a strange place. It's a very strange place. Um, Matt Keane, who I, who I actually like and who I deal with a fair bit, mm. um, he got up and spoke in opposition to a moratorium bill that I brought to the lower house um, back in on the 4th of June, uh, which would have actually forced government to go back and implement the 16 recommendations of the chief scientist before anything could happen. He spoke against that moratorium, but then in the last week has come out in the media and actually said, well, um, the, the Narrabri gas or gas as a fuel is on the clock, you know, basically that it's got a, a limited shelf life and the project's not that good, which we all know. Mm. Um, so to stand in Parliament and speak in opposition of a moratorium, you've, you've really got to wonder um, what people are thinking when they say one thing and then uh, sometime later say something completely contradictory. And that uh, that is why people probably, one of the main reasons that people don't trust uh, politicians, I guess. Yeah, well, trusting politicians is at an all-time low, but there are some people who are genuinely committed to this. Uh, could you give us an idea of who you find uh, good to work with in the parliament uh, on this issue? Well, look, this is the thing, and this is what um, I think drives, drives government absolutely nuts. I talk to everyone. I make a point of talking to everyone. Mm. So uh, there's members of government who, for example, would not talk to somebody who was formerly a Green, uh, like Justin Field, or would not talk to the Animal Justice Party, or would not talk to uh, the current Greens in the upper house or the, or the lower house. I, I make a point of talking to everyone because I think people in my electorate would not care who I'm speaking to if I'm trying to get a better outcome for the people of Barwon. And each one of those people in the Legislative Assembly or in the Legislative Council have a vote. And if they can use that vote on an issue that's not offensive to them to help the people in my community, of course I'm going to talk to them. Mm. You know, so uh, my, my uh, frequent offers 
and extensions of invitations to uh, various ministers. I, I actually welcome it, welcome them into my electorate. I say, you come out and if you want, come on the road for some car therapy. I'll show you around and I'll introduce you to people. Yeah. Um, I, I don't play political games and I don't think they really know how to deal with that because um, that, unfortunately, is a, is a large part of what goes on in Parliament. Mm. Yeah, it is, unfortunately, isn't it? Well, speaking of, uh, you know, the games that go on in Parliament, uh, you know, the, just this month, uh, the, uh, the or last month, the, uh, the, the hashtag koala killer was trending. Uh, John <laughs> Barillaro uh, or, jo, or jo, John Porky Barrel uh, as he likes to be known, apparently, um, was uh, was threatening to tear apart the coalition over the uh, you know the right to kill koalas. Um, now, does the, the shooters, fishers, and farmers? Uh, do you want to distinguish yourself from the the National Party in that regard? I mean, I know the National Party are basically representing the interests of uh, miners and developers, and but but farmers are are much more conservation-minded, aren't they? They they would like to see their koalas uh, uh, actually protected, wouldn't they? Oh, I, I can't think of any farmer who would want to cause harm knowingly to, um, you know, to, to any native animal. I mean, I think I think the biggest thing with this koala set, I, I rang Rob Stokes on the Thursday, before, the Friday was when it blew up, when the ultimatum was given, mm. um, you know, come back in or you've all lost your ministries. Um, I rang Rob Stokes on the Thursday and had a good chat with him. I said, mate, what's going on? And he said, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've written to uh, John Barillaro. He's got... Uh, a letter there from me, which I think was sent back in August, offering some concessions that uh, addressed the concerns that uh, were being raised around farmland. Um, but instead of going and talking to Rob Stokes, for whatever reason, um, John went and spoke to the media. And uh, it was an interesting hill to die on um, yeah. because uh, it wasn't... Uh, I think it was the wrong issue, the wrong time and the wrong strategy, really. I mean, uh, when you've got the Minister for Planning, Rob Stokes, who was a very proficient minister... Um, basically reaching out and saying, yep, happy to talk with you and address your concerns. To not talk to Rob and to talk to the media instead was bizarre. Yeah, that um, was it was a certainly bizarre behaviour, and then it was quickly followed by him going on a mental health leave, wasn't it? So, you know... The, yeah, the, the I've, make, I've left that alone. Like, if the bloke sticks his hand up and says he's unwell, um, yeah, you know... Good, I'm good luck gonna, for him. No, good, good yeah, luck I'm, for him. Yeah, I'm not going to kick him while he's having, a, having a, a bad time. No, but he um, must, have been, must have been having a bad time at the time when all of that went down. But, um, but of course, you know, one of my point really is that for the shooters, fishers and farmers, there's a, you know, there's a, a line in the sand there, isn't it? You don't want to go down that path yourselves, I imagine. I mean, oh, there's, a, there's an opportunity there for farmers to uh, start to get uh, to get actually compensated for uh, for protecting their koala populations, and and that would be a kind of a win-win, wouldn't it? In terms of koala protection, I don't know anyone who's a, a sound mental state who would want to harm koalas. Koalas, no. but, uh, the but everybody everybody who'd like to to protect them needs the resources to do so, don't they? It's uh, it's a matter oh, yeah. of getting that uh, parliament, uh, getting the parliament to actually uh, pass, you know, the the the, the rules that will give. Uh, proper compensation to farmers for uh, for protecting the koalas on their land, and then then every farmer will be queuing up to find koalas as many as he can. I guess. <laughs> well, that, I mean that's happened uh, in some areas of my electorate in terms of uh, carbon farming or carbon credits, mm. um, where people, especially through the drought, you know, they couldn't make money running stock, but they uh, were able to identify a portion of their property and uh, offer it up as a carbon offset and get paid to do that. Uh, that's that's. In my mind, that's working smart, especially through a drought when uh, you're not making any money out of uh, normal farming. To be able to uh, get an income for basically preserving some land uh, as a as a carbon offset or as a koala habitat, um, that's that's all good and well. I've got no problem with that at all. So you'd say the shooters, fishers, and farmers would be happy to get behind a biodiversity credit scheme of that sort, similar to the carbon credit scheme. 
Look, I can't speak for the party, Sean, because yes. obviously I'm not the party leader, but no. uh, I think uh, we're big on property rights. So basically, property rights, that doesn't mean that nothing happens. What that means is that your investment and your asset is looked after in terms of what you have put into it. So um, property rights doesn't mean that you can't protect koalas on properties. Property rights means that if we're going to do something that compromises your ability to produce from that land, then you would need to have um, very, very just compensation to ensure that uh, any investment that you've made is not lost. Well, look, um, I'd want to uh, wrap it up. I think we've, we've covered our, our, our time allocated, but I should just, before I go, say what would you be calling on people to do to support you in your efforts uh, to, uh, to, to, to get this uh, nasty Santos project out at Narrabri knocked on the head? Well, I think um, writing to your local member is always a good thing. So uh, um, believe it or not, that does work, especially when they get a huge volume of correspondence across their desk because they're the people writing to them who are actually needing to vote for them next time. So um, when, when there is public opposition, and that's one of the reasons I think government jams through the Legislative Assembly so quickly. We finished in Parliament at 1.30 on the, uh, the, the day before it came to the Legislative Assembly. I got about an hour, hour and a half notice that it was coming, and that's very unusual, but I think that's because government didn't want people to have time to react and contact their local officers. So I would say uh, still be reaching out to your local member and saying, well, what are you doing to stop it? Uh, because my guess is that most of them uh, won't have an answer to that. Well, good on you, Roy. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no worries at all. That was Roy Butler, member for Barwon. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.